Hello, hello, working wife, happy life listeners. Welcome back and welcome to our 40th episode. I cannot believe it. This has been such an incredible journey and really a gift to have had so many of these rich conversations over these past 18 months with all these incredible people that I've gotten to meet and gotten to know. And just a huge, huge thank you to our OG listeners and a welcome to our new listeners out there. And mostly, I definitely want to thank you all for the grace uh, that you have allowed me, as I will admit that our releases are not as timely and, uh, you know, regular as I would hope. Um, They've definitely been sporadic as of late, as a lot of stuff is going on on the personal side, all good things, um, but just a lot going on as a family. For example, we have moved back into New York City from our time in South Jersey. Um, We are in the midst of selling and building and renovating homes. We uh, have two kids starting two new schools. I am starting to get back into the office here and there. Uh, So it's just been a lot, all amazing, incredible things. But Sometimes I have to admit my husband and I look at each other and say, why are we trying to do everything all at once? Um, But you know, you have one life, so let's make it as full as we can. Uh, But maybe I have bitten off a little more than I can chew, but now it seems to be settling down a little bit. So in a nod to what I consider to be glorious and certainly blessed chaos, I would love to introduce today's guest, whose life's work is in support of working parents. Um, Just a quick note that there is some jackhammering in the back on my end of the recording, unfortunately, uh, but hopefully it's not too distracting. So today's guest, Daisy Dowling, is the founder and CEO of WorkParent, an executive coaching and training firm that is dedicated to helping working parents lead more successful and satisfying lives. She began WorkParent with a simple and bold vision that all working parents could succeed on the job and remain true to themselves while raising terrific kids and maybe even taking pride in doing so. Her new book, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself and Raising Happy Kids has been called the definitive guide for working parents. She is a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, the editor for the HBR Working Parents series, and her advice has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, Sunday Times, Bloomberg, and CNN. Together we break down the evolution of working parents through the past few generations. We discuss the challenges working parents face through the various ages of their children. We talk about finding flexibility within your workplace or when looking for a new opportunity, and tips on how to set up a contract with yourself and boundaries to ensure you're keeping all legs of your stool grounded. Enjoy this insightful, validating, and timely conversation with Daisy about making the most out of your one unique life, both as a parent and a professional. Daisy, thank you so much. Thank you for joining Working Wife Happy Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you are honestly like the the uh, seminal guest here because you are the work parent. You are focused on 
really supporting all working parents and making sure that we're finding balance and support and understanding our needs and boundaries. Um, and I just think it's such a critical, critical time for your work. It has always been, and I can't imagine a time that it's even more critical than right now. Yes. Well, the pandemic definitely exposed a, a lot of the, the problem and challenge of working parenthood. It, it made it worse, but the problem was already there. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a great opportunity now that we're more conscious as working parents and for other working parents of how we can now make things better. Yeah. And, and I, I often say that it, it would be such a shame to leave this moment in time and try to go right back to the way things were, because that was, that it was heading on a crash course anyway. And the pandemic just seemed to accelerate the, the inevitable there. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really, really important point. So we all look back, or at least I did during sort of the depths of the pandemic, you know, I've got two kids, they were distance learning. I, you know, I was working on my own business. I was finishing a book. Um, and I, I would look back on 2019 with rose colored glasses all nostalgically. And you're right. We, we were on a crash course. Um, and there are a lot of forces there that have made working parenthood very, very difficult that I don't think that we've all fully understood that that, yeah. that problem was present pre pandemic. Yeah. I, and I think that's, you know, it kind of was this just drinking from the fire hose where you're just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. You're just trying to get things done that you don't have as much time to reflect. And, you know, there, there's personal aspects of being a working parent. There's systemic aspects of being a working parent. There's cultural aspects. There's all of these different things that, you know, who has time to try to unwind or unravel all of those different threads. But it sounds like your book is trying to, uh, which just released last month, uh, Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself and Raising Happy Kids. I mean, that's that's the like magic triangle there. Exactly. It's it's a three-part stool that, you know, that, that we're all trying to make sure each of those legs are there. And so often we feel like when we're focusing on one, we do so at the expense of the others. And so in my book, what I what I try to do as a coach and as somebody who's gotten to interview and, and to talk to such a broad, diverse group of working parents is suggest some of the strategies that will allow you to focus on yourself, to focus on your kids or on your job without feeling like you're in any way sort of harming or, or, or borrowing from the others. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I hear that stool analogy so many times, particularly when it comes to work-life balance or any of those things where you feel like you're indexing in one area so much, and then you have to quickly go over and compensate to the other area. And it almost reminds me of one of those BOSU balls, the, the um, exercise ball that is flat on the top and round on the bottom. And you're just trying to like, <laughs> make sure you get enough into each bucket every day. Yeah, Our, our listeners can't see my little hip swivel with that, but you know, that, that in and of itself is unsustainable and kind of a rat race image of trying to like fill every bucket. Um, so I'm very excited to have this conversation, try to get into some of those strategies and some of the more kind of holistic support and holistic mindset that it seems like you're, you're striving for. Exactly. Awesome. Um, one thing that I am so curious about. So I personally have been a mother for 14 years, working mom <laughs> that entire time. Um, <clears throat> is it, like when you look generationally at the different stages or different phases of our society with working parents, like 
is it as different as it feels today than it was maybe 20, 30 years ago? Like what in your, in your research and your exploration, what are some of the historical kind of angles or, or sentiments behind working parenthood? Yeah. So, so here's the thing, working parenthood, if you feel the pinch of it now, if it feels hard for you and you look back at your parents or at your grandparents and you say, well, gosh, you know, mom worked hard, grandpa worked hard. They never seemed to complain so much or they managed to do this all. Why can't I, Mm -hmm. I want you to just stop and, and think about a couple of important things, just, you know, perspective here. If you go back to your grandparents' generation, it was very likely, not certain, but very likely that whoever was the breadwinner in the family had another adult or adults at home who were full-time or close to full-time focused on taking care of the household and raising the family, right? It may have been grandparents who lived with you, maybe both parents worked, but you probably had a little bit more give there, number one. Number two, it was much more expected that you were going to be able to stay at any employer for a long period of time. So when dad worked or grandpa worked, certainly, or, you know, your mom worked, it it was realistic. It was feasible that you might be at an employer for your entire career. Statistically speaking, the average one of us right now is only going to spend four years at any particular job. Then you add on top of that, the fact that Technology has changed. Now, I'm not against technology in any way. I love it. It makes my life as a working parent better in so many ways and just better overall. But if you go back to people who became working parents prior to 2007 and the introduction of the iPhone, yes, they had to be sort of tethered and connected to the office a lot, but we didn't face the kind of 24-7 pressures that we do now, where when you're on vacation, you have to be glued to your little screen. So, so think about your reality now, 75% of American working parents are either dual career or single parents. Only 25% fit the quote unquote traditional family mold where one, there's one breadwinner and somebody at home taking care of the kids. So most of us are really dealing with a whole new world of working parenthood. We're on all the time. We're coordinating with a spouse or partner who might be working very hard, or we're doing it single or solo. And we're moving jobs a lot. So we have to not just do well on the job. We have to think about our next gig. That's stressful. And that's what we're facing as parents. So, and so I apologize. Of course, there's like jackhammering happening outside my, my house. I don't know if it's coming through on the recording, but um, that is so fascinating. The, the job piece too, because, you know, I think we're all in some way, shape or form aware, at least those of us that have worked through, you know, prior to 2007 and then after, you know, really seeing that arc of when you became much more tethered to to the office or to to your work some way that you could access it. Um, but the idea of switching jobs, because there is a ton of, you know, kind of mental labor and drain and, uh, you know, anxiety where you want to make a good impression and you want to make sure, you know, that you're 
leaning in, particularly in the beginning. And as a working parent, it can be very hard to, you know, really find an extra three hours in an already limited 24 hour day. That's what I feel like you're always trying to find is where's is that extra time that I'm supposed to miraculously have. You're first supposed to find that time. Yes. And, and you're, it's also a new skill. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was raised by a really proud breadwinning mom who supported our family. So I, you know, I'm, I believe in this. Um, but my mom as incredible as she was as a role model and still is, and she worked until she was 75 years old, but you know, she did not teach me how to assess a new employer for working parent friendliness or how to put together a really effective LinkedIn profile. So it's my personal belief. We we're, we're facing a new world, but let's not say, Hey, it's an intractable problem. Let's say, let's make working parenthood a teachable and a learnable skill set. And let's equip ourselves to be able to kind of roll with the punches of the, you know, the modern labor reality, but to do that in a way that's also going to work for our families and let us be the parents we want. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because it's, you don't want to have this friction on the undercourse of, of your journey where you're feeling like I can't, you know, I'm trying to fight the things as they're evolving. You want to feel like you're actually finding a way to, to meet them and to actually engage them in a positive part of your journey. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, eyes wide open and in the driver's seat, right? Looking out the front windshield, let's do it. I mean, I, that's, that's, I think, the, the feeling that a lot of us are trying to capture, not a sense of, I, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm sort of always a little bit on my back foot. I don't know how to handle this. Just we need to know what's coming as working parents and be prepared. And, and also, again, know how to deal with it on every different level, personal, emotional, professional, parental, all of it. Yeah. I think what's what's interesting about your your work and this conversation is I feel like there are uh, phases of parenthood that get more attention as working parents. And there's, you know, also kind of this angle of a lot of emphasis toward working moms. Um, but I am curious about the so I'd like to dig into those two areas. But mm-hmm. first, kind of the phases I'm realizing now, and I think this pandemic really brought this to light too, is how different kids at different ages were had different challenges and, and need different things from their parents. And so, you know, I'm one of those anomaly people that's been with my company for 17 years, but my needs as a mother have completely changed over the past 14 years and they're continuing to evolve. So why was it so important to your work to really focus? Cause you're really starting from like the minute you find out you're pregnant until I guess, until they leave the house or, you know, yeah. Yeah. you're painfully employed at some point. Yeah. Until your child becomes independent. Um, so, and even, even before you become pregnant, because you're, you're a parent, um, even, even before that happens when you've committed to parenting and to becoming one. So, um, so there are a couple of important things to know as you look down the fairway. So there's a lot that's been written about parental leave and the return from leave. And we could cover that, but, but there's a lot I think that's out there and some good common wisdom that's swapped there about sort of, you know, 
owning your narrative, um, setting the agenda, making certain that you understand all of your rights as a parent, how much time you're going to get off, making certain when you have a, a transition plan that it's not just a transition away from work, but a transition back in, knowing what you want when you come back from parental leave. There's all kinds of important things, and I cover them in detail in the book. But then you know, the baby begins to grow and all of a sudden you've got a toddler. And this is where I think a lot of parents really begin to feel a lot of strain because what worked when your child was very, very small may not work when they're a toddler in a couple of different ways. Let's say, for example, that you have set up a certain flexibility arrangement and that worked for your child's first year. By the time your child is two or three, it's probably going to be a really good time for you to reconsider that flexibility, not necessarily to change it, but just to reconsider it. If you've been working at home, for example, and now with the pandemic, a lot more of us obviously are, you know, have been and probably will continue to be working at home. When you're working at home with a baby, that's okay because the baby, if you have an in-home caregiver or you know somebody who's helping you out with the baby can be in a different part of the house and you can focus and get your work done. That's a very different thing to try to manage <laughs> with a three-year-old who's mobile and who's banging on the doors, you know, screaming, mommy, daddy, when you're in an important meeting or trying to land that new client contract. Mm -hmm. Or if you are three years into a part-time arrangement, if you cut back your hours, well, if you're three years into it, you want to think to yourself, okay, professionally, career-wise, a year, two years, three years that was important to me, but now do, do I want to go back up to five days a week? Do I want to reset here? So I, I think that set of issues is important. Then as your child gets a little bit older, you face the school challenge. So not just how, who's taking physical care of my child, but how am I being staying on top of overseeing mentoring my child as they go through the set of social issues and you know, they start having homework and so forth. How do I make the time for that? Which usually causes people to want to reconfigure their calendar a little bit. Mm -hmm. It also causes people to, to want to be able to explain what they do to their child. So I, you have a 14 year old, I have a seven year old and a nine year old. I'm sure at some point, just as I had to, you needed to explain to your then kindergartner why no, you, you weren't able to make the concert, right? Because you were on a business trip. And for, for example, the concert that was from 11.55 to 12.10. <laughs> like, it, exactly. Things and times where it's just like, that is not possible, right? Exactly. So you're communicating in a new way and you're trying to make the times that you do have with your child more productive when they're and more satisfying for both of you when they're feeling more independent. And there's tricks and techniques for doing that. For example, um, instead of asking your child questions at the end of the day, saying, how was your day, sweetheart? And what did you do? And tell me about school, because you're probably just going to get monosyllables or not that much back. Bonding with your child through activities and through rituals, right? So sitting down and playing a game or taking your, you know, preteen out on a jog or into the backyard to do an activity instead of talking, you know, bonding through talking. And then as you get to the teenage years, there's what I call the great inversion. So for years and years, when your kid is sort of growing up and, you know, getting into school time, you know, school age time, you're, you're worried about being too much of a parent in the professional sphere. Like if I mention parenting too much, are they going to judge me? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, a lot of parents of teenagers report that things begin to backfire in the other direction. They start bringing all of their workplace skills home and trying to apply them to a teenager. Oh, so, interesting. 
So if you've ever treated family dinner like it's a workplace team meeting report out and kind of gone around the table and asked everybody what they do for their day, or if if you caught yourself using the word a word like efficient when talking mm-hmm. about weekend plans mm-hmm. or treating your misbehaving 14-year-old like they're an underperforming employee and you're giving them feedback, that that's the inversion, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're you're talking to your child in a way that's overly professional and you risk distancing yourself a little bit from them. So I know I'm I'm kind of skimming across all different ages, but those are some of the twists and turns. But again, if you're prepared and you're aware, you know exactly how to roll with them. It's, it's so I'm laughing to myself because there are definitely times where, you know, my son will be like, "Uh Oh, here comes her podcast voice or here's mommy's (laughs) work voice, you know? And it's just like, that's, that's our little joke of like, okay, that's, it's time to just be mom. Um, but it's, it is, you know, I, I also have a nine-year-old and so much of what you're saying resonates. And I think for people who are listening, who are in that like toddler struggle, I remember it so well because it, it is life altering, right? All of a sudden you, you are responsible for rationalizing with an individual that can't rationalize, um, you know, their needs have become much more behavioral versus physical. Um, And then as they get older, it goes into the more like emotional needs. And I always say, you know, now that my son is in middle school this year at home has been a gift because when he wants to talk, I'm here. I might be busy, but he knows I'm around, right? It's not like he's bottling things up until I'm coming home at 630 at night and then maybe seeing if he feels like talking or not. So I, I feel like there's definitely to me, there's been such value in being more present as my children get older versus the guilt I felt at not being as present when they were younger and sitting in daycare from eight to six. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I think you've just put your finger on something incredibly important, which is the, you know, the, the guilt, the daycare era, that, that sort of, you know, baby into toddler phase, that's where people really begin questioning themselves as, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing being a breadwinner parent, right? Is this, am I making the right choices and decisions? And I I challenge anyone who's listening, who's in a position um, where you can do some of the, you know, kind of quick statistics for your own team or for your organization. If you look at attrition data, my, I, I, you know, I'm not a betting woman, but I would bet you that it's not going to be when people um, are supposed to return from parental leave that they drop out of the workforce. It's in that sort of, I have a two-year-old, I have a three-year-old, maybe I'm welcoming a second child phase where the, the needs do shift. There's not a lot of support. You begin questioning for yourself and people aren't sure what to do. And it sometimes feels like ratcheting back or dropping out is the answer. Yeah. And this is, you know, I mean, you are speaking my language right now. I had those moments right after my second maternity leave where I was considering going part-time. I was considering maybe leaving. um, And then my husband got laid off. So it's like, thank God I didn't. Right. And now that was obviously nine years ago, but you know, here I am as the breadwinner and our life has taken this totally different direction, but I definitely was at that moment of, is this the right path? And and now I want to kind of get back to one point that I was bringing up before. So many conversations and books and narratives about working parents are focused on working mothers. And while I, I see both sides of this, because 
you know, I just saw a depressing statistic this morning about, you know, dual income families where women are still doing the majority of the child care throughout the pandemic. Um, it, it's definitely a need, but also isn't that at the same time detrimental to women to continue that type of narrative that, you know, working mothers need to be considered differently than working fathers. The same thing with like the male CEO. Nobody says, how do you do it all? But they do it the female CEO, you know? So, so why talk to me about your inclusive nature of the work when you include all parents, whether they're male, female, non-binary in same sex, different sex relationships, you know, single, widowed, you know, you really focus on the full spectrum of parenthood. And why is that so important? Yeah. So in the newspaper headlines and throughout the pandemic and, and before, we, we read about statistics and about trends and percentages and so forth and, and how, um, you know, our current environment or, you know, what, what, how many women versus men are experiencing the pandemic differently, et cetera. I'm not in any way shoving that aside, but we all live our lives as individuals. And as an executive coach, my job is to partner with whoever is on the phone with me, who's whoever is in the room with me, and to help them to figure out exactly what they need to do to get back into that sense of confidence, of control, of I can do this, of I can succeed, I can be a good parent. And so I listen to stories of people with every possible different sort of, you know, aspect of their lives, different roles, different functions, different levels of resource, men, women, uh, you know, as diverse as it goes. And I listen to the challenges they have. And so just by, by nature of the work I do, I, I'm just, you know, rock solid convinced that, yeah, there, there may be, you know, trend lines that are out there. Again, I'm not denying them, but that every single parent I talk to is grappling with much of the same issue and that we need to widen the circle in order to create real sustainable changes that are going to help all of us, women and men alike. So, so that's the first thing. So that's, you know, just, that's just what I see that we're 52 million American working parents. We come in all shapes and packages and everything. So let's be inclusive about it because when we're 52 million, we're strong. That's the first thing. The, the second thing, and, and I think I'm, I'm just agreeing with what you were touching on here, is that this is just my personal view, but, but I think when we say something is you know sort of a women's issue, it allows for certain people to step back from it and to, and to step aside from it and say, well, this is siloed. This is discrete. This is something that only affects a certain percentage of our employees, for example. What's exciting to me now um, in my working parent travels is the incredible proliferation of working parents, um, employee resource groups and networks, which are most of them incredibly diverse. And when I think about people who are up sort of in the C-suite, and I talk to a lot of my clients at that level, they look at these ERGs and they say, oh, you know, working parenthood, yeah, that's kind of a women's issue. And then they look at an ERG and it's 300 men who are all saying, we need help and advice here, you know, alongside 300 women saying the same thing. And they say, whoa, whoa. That, wait, this isn't a women's issue. We've got to do something. We've got to change our policies. We need to train our managers to deal with this. And that's where we're going to get real traction. Yeah, I love that. Because it, it is, you know, it's it's funny. There is like 
you know, I have that knee jerk of like, oh, now that it affects you, you know, but it is true. Like you have to broaden that, that perspective of how many people are struggling with these roles and that if we're going to fight for equality on, on all factors, right. In terms of opportunity and pay, um, it has to go over to child care and child, you know, uh, uh, caregiving and all of the things that go into parenthood, it has to be equal and it has to be supported equally. Um, so we talk a lot about, uh, you know, on this podcast about like the labor, but you're talking systemically, like we need to have these same support services and these same, um, you know, programs and emotional support services gender, gender regardless. Absolutely. When I, when I started writing on working parenthood for the Harvard business review in 2017, I was surprised then. And I'm not surprised now that of the reader emails that I got unsolicited, you know, something goes out on the internet, you're going to get mail about it. Um, about 70% of them were from men. Uh, and my columns were gender neutral, but I kind of assumed more women would be interested or respond to what I had written. And all of the emails that I got would say in some way or fashion, thank you for addressing this. Thank you for including me. I worry mm -hmm. about this stuff and thank you for sort of bringing me into the fold. And some of them were very poignant. So yes, I'm, I'm a big believer. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I have a lot of male listeners and that's some of my favorite feedback because, uh, you know, in many ways, it, I, I wondered if this would resonate across gender lines and it certainly does. One, I think it's, you know, a lot of these conversations are not gender specific. There's a, a gender slant based on my lived experience, um, but it is a lot of the things that we tackle are, you know, quite uh, particularly around parenthood and, and career and all of that stuff. Uh, very, very inclusive. And you've also done this work globally, right? So you've yes. looked at this across uh, individual coaching, coaching sessions. You've worked with Fortune 500 companies. You've worked in every region from from Latin America to Asia to Europe, um, how does this kind of play out, you know, culturally, or how do you see this across, you know, some of the the companies and the countries that you've worked with? Yeah, so it's remarkably consistent. So when I was researching the book, I, I really wanted to hold my feet to the fire and say, um, come on, am I am I just being the provincial American who, you know, just assumes that the way it happens here happens, you know, throughout the world? So I went as broad as possible. I interviewed like a single mother firefighter in Great Britain, you know, where you know, parental leave can be up to a year long. And I spoke to an you know an entrepreneur um, running a VC backed company in Mexico city, um, who's a man. And I spoke to, I mean, fill in the blank. I, I just tried to go as far and broad and diverse as I could. And there are structural differences in, in certain different parts of the world. For example, it is much easier to find care. It is easier to take a longer amount of time off when you do become a parent. And there are also different norms and standards, which are not universal. They're just norms and standards around um, the involvement of uh, multi-generations in one household. So if you're in a culture or in a community where it's just expected that you're going to have grandparents living in and um, it's a lot easier or less expensive to have in-home care, that may change the shape of how you work parent a little bit. But as I found in my, in my in-depth conversations, and this is behind closed doors, real deal with individual moms and dads, it didn't change a lot of the concerns, which are, 
can I push ahead at work and still be a fantastic parent? How do I find time to do all of this? How do I make certain that I'm sending my child the right message? How do I make certain I'm sending the right message at work? How do I fill in, you know, kind of all those classic concerns, all the things that we have top of mind might be slightly alleviated or mildly different, but they're, but they're really universal. I could not Mm -hmm. find as hard as I tried, I could not find a place where that wasn't true. That's, uh, it's 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 surprising and and comforting um you know it's just we have these assumptions that if we just nailed you know from a us perspective if we just nailed more parental leave or if we just nailed more you know normalizing of living at home with your parents like you said there's all these nuances that can help support but it doesn't necessarily solve all of those legs of the stool and all of those buckets. Um, I'd, I'd love to switch a little bit to kind of more uh, individual when, you know, you're talking about kind of creating boundaries or, you know, identifying your values or communicating. Um, what are some of the top things that you saw uh, in terms of, of tips that help people kind of uncover what those particular layers of the onion are for them? Yeah. So you mentioned boundaries. And if there's one, you know, headline that we could put on all of 2020 for working parenthood, it would just say one word, which is boundaries, right? Um, for, for years, we've all been encouraged to think about, quote unquote, work-life integration. And it's a great phrase. But as we have now, I think, seen, our lives have become so sort of, um, you know, so integrated between parenting, working, et cetera, that we can't find any boundaries at all. So when I do one-to-one work with my coaching clients, I usually um, push them, honestly, in a nice way, but I push them to almost set a, a contract with themselves for where their boundaries are. When you are a type A, high achieving, want to do well kind of person, And your entire professional success to date until you become a parent has been driven in large part by your willingness to go the extra mile and work all weekend and, you know, respond to email at all hours and do all those kinds of things. And all of a sudden you have to say, no, I'm going to carve out these two hours each evening just to spend time with the baby, or I'm going to go on vacation and really try and have it be a proper vacation. It's, it's not that it feels, um, somehow awkward, it's that it actually feels wrong, right? You feel like you're doing something that's profoundly wrong. So with my clients, my successful clients have have gotten very good at setting distinct boundaries, having them be absolute and stick to them. Like I'm not going to work on Sundays or from six to seven 30 is family time. Now that's great. If you can make that leap to that, if you, if you can't, if you're struggling, if you feel like, wow, that's, you know, that's bold, or I'm going to get judged for doing that or whatever, then the thing to do is to start small, tell yourself, okay, I, you know, an hour and a half each evening feels like my boss is going to yell at me if I do that or uh, whatever, whatever the consequence you're imagining. So try and just block 20 minutes, start with some small block of time and test it out. I guarantee you that 95% of the time, there's not going to be blowback or consequence for taking that small bite of time for setting that particular boundary. And then just try and expand it gradually and expand also the way you communicate about it. Be a little bit bolder in telling people that that is, you know, unless there's an emergency, I try and take that time as family time. And then think about other boundaries as well. Think about, you know, putting your device away 
or literally having a physical space within your house that you work. And when you are not sitting in that desk chair or not wearing your work shoes, that you tell yourself, I am in parent mode now. So think about some of the practical stuff, but also some of the psychological tricks that can help you pivot so that you're not sort of always mentally multitasking, that you're fully there as a parent and fully focused as a professional. Yeah, I love that, like the little mental cues that you can give yourself. Um, I unfortunately have my office set up in my bedroom and it's one of my biggest pet peeves. Like I don't even have a TV in my bedroom, um, but it's just because of this work from home scenario. This is where I have space for my desk. And it's just, you know, it really is. Go ahead. Do you have a yeah, tip? So, yeah. I'm going to get right in. I mean, let's, let's make this work for you. So in the next week, I want you to set up some sort of small barrier, not a physical barrier because you're in your bedroom, but a barrier between your parent or personal time and your professional time. That can be clothing, like you put on a jacket or, you know, pants with waistband or something when you sit down to work. Uh, one of my clients keeps a family photo at her desk. And every time she flips back and forth between mom self and professional self, she touches the picture like she's touching a light switch and mm. it allows her to fully transition. Or if you're into, you know, meditation or mindfulness or whatever, close your eyes for a minute and say, I am now arriving at work. Mm -hmm. And you transition yourself, whatever, set something up for yourself so that you're not sort of constantly half there. Cause that's going to yeah. drive you crazy. Yeah. It's funny. I, I just, on a personal note, what I typically do is I'll close my laptop. Right. So it's just like great thing of it, but then I take my laptop with me sometimes and work downstairs and all this stuff. So I think if I was a little bit more specific about opening and closing my laptop and leaving it here as if it weren't modular, that might be the right kind of mental cue. Yeah. Boundaries sound limiting, but when you're a working parent, they set you free. Mm -hmm. I love, love, love that concept. Um, now tell me a little bit about like, you know, when we're talking a lot about kind of setting boundaries for yourself, um, we know there's a lot of people that have left the workforce uh, or people who are looking to change jobs because they're finding it's not working for them during this time. What are some of the things that you recommend for, you know, working parents as they're either interviewing or assessing new companies? Like, how do you find out if a company is going to be a hospitable place for working parents? How do you ask about that during the interview process without mm -hmm. it, you know, having the backlash or backfiring in some way? Yeah. So go in with a game plan for figuring out if this is going to be the right employer for you. And by that, I mean, understand when and where you want to bring up the whole working parent thing. Interviewing, and I spent a long time in internal human capital roles, interviewing people and focusing on assessments. So I kind of speak from my executive coaching, but with that hat on also. Interviewing is a three-part process. The initial screen is just to see if you're you know, capable, if you should be a candidate for the job, if you're worthy of real assessment. The second phase is sort of all of those interviews that oftentimes go on for weeks or even months, like all of the back and forth and the get to know you. And then the third phase is when you're getting towards an actual offer and you're talking about terms and agreements and there's reference checking and background checking and so forth. 
if you bring working parenthood up in phase one, it's just going to be a distraction, right? They're just trying to figure out if you can do the job. It, it, it's too early to start saying, talk to me about work-life balance in phase one when you're just being kind of, you know, routinely assessed. In phase two, though, you want to think about very gradually sort of testing and pushing to see what the reaction is to you as a working parent. And you can do that in small bite ways at the beginning of an interview process when you're just getting into some some of the, you know, more of the interviews before you have a whole day of interviews, for example, by, you know, if you see a family photo in the background of somebody Zoom saying, oh, are those your kids? And then seeing how the person responds or making some quick reference to, well, um, you know, this, you know, thank you so much for, you know, for interviewing me and, um, you know, looking forward to continuing our, our conversation next week, but now I'm off to my daughter's soccer game or something, just dropping it very lightly into the conversation and seeing what, what the reaction is. And then as you go outside the interview process, but during this assessment phase, you're going to start talking to other people in the organization who you can network your way to, or other people who have left the organization who are veterans. And you'll ask them what it's like to be on the inside. So that when you get to phase three, when you're talking turkey about terms and you know what, what the employer should expect if you're hired and so forth, that you're then in a position to be very, very open. You've previewed the fact that this is a concern for you. You've kind of let drop that, yeah, you are a parent. And then when you're getting to that phase where you're about to get the offer, you can say something like, I just want to be completely clear here. I am going to be available to work very hard and to make this project or this product or whatever you're hiring me to do a success. I'm going to plan to work from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. every day and then have a second shift after, you know, my three-year-old twins go to bed. But that's that break, you know, in between that family time is important to me. If that doesn't make sense to you, if that won't be feasible for you for some reason, now's the time for us to discuss it. Or to raise the fact that you do want to work from home a certain number of days per week. Whatever it is, that's when you make your ask in that third phase. And then if you're still the candidate the, the employer wants, they'll say, okay, not a problem, come on board. But then you're completely honest with them and vice versa. You know what you're getting into and vice versa. And then you're setting yourself up for success. Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny. I have so many uh, kind of parallels that I'm drawing to this time in our, you know, global society's history in terms of this kind of reemergence back into the workforce and this understanding of flexibility seems to me kind of one that it's almost like when you're starting a new job, that's the best time to negotiate. So I feel like once as, now, as we're coming back in from the pandemic, the best time for people to tell their employers what they need in terms of flexibility, but two, it's also this really interesting kind of rebirth. Like when you think about coming back from parental leave, your whole life has changed and I apologize to my listeners if I've said this on other episodes, but it's kind of sticking with me. It's like your whole life has changed and then you come back into this place where everything else has kind of stayed the same. Whereas now everyone's coming back where everything has changed. And I just think it's such a really interesting kind of social experiment where, you know, we have all learned more about ourselves during this time and can approach those conversations with a lot of intentionality of what does and doesn't work for us. Um, but you, you hit on one thing, actually two things that I wanted to highlight. One is this notion of 
what a lot of parents do, particularly at that toddler age, because I did the same thing, get back to work after the kids go to bed. And it's one of those things where I think as working parents, you feel like you are kind of slicing and splicing your day in such increments that there's not really that time, there's not really that space and time for you. Do you see a lot of working parents feeling like, like it used to be the day ended at five or six and that was a normal thing. It's not normal to work until 9 p.m. We've kind of set this weird thing into motion, at least in the West, or, you know, where like, you know, these crazy working hours. How does that like kind of like burnout type thing play out in your work? Yeah. Well, first of all, you just used a really important word, which is experiment. And so I encourage anybody who's listening, particularly now in the great post-pandemic reset, when we do have, you know, we're sort of everybody's trying new things or we're pivoting to a new normal, to think about what's going to work for you and to experiment. If that sort of, you know, two-shift day that we've just talked about, that doesn't work for you. Well, flexibility can come in a lot of different forms. Maybe you do shifted hours. Maybe you start work earlier Mm -hmm. and then you finish at some early time and you have your whole evening, you know, for yourself or with kids. Or maybe you think about, you know, working in a different way or saying no to more things if possible at work. There's, There's a lot of different ways that you can influence your schedule and how it plays out. And I, I lay a couple of different sort of, you know, templates for that out in the book, but I, I do think it's important that we don't just say, well, this is how other parents do it. That's an important input, but let me try with, you know, experimenting with flexibility. It's not just work from home. It might be a compressed work week where I'm working longer hours, certain days and much shorter hours, other days. So, and now is a great time to experiment number one. Mm -hmm. But number two, to answer your question about burnout, listen, burnout and exhaustion, I I think, I mean, aren't we all feeling it to some degree (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) post-pandemic? And I'm going to introduce a crazy radical new concept, um, which is breaks and vacation Mm -hmm. and time off. Because, and I say that sarcastically, and I, I shouldn't be sarcastic, but when I now have intake meetings with new coaching clients, literally sort of the third question I ask them after, tell me about your job, tell me about your family, is when's the last time you had a full day fully off? Mm-hmm. And usually the person, it's on Zoom, the person sort of looks around you know, the room kind of guiltily and won't make eye contact for a second and then says, I don't know, or 2019 or mm-hmm. whatever. We have got to get back into the habit and into, or into a habit of permissioning ourselves to take discrete, defined blocks of time away from work on a day-to-day basis and away from parenting also on a day-to-day basis to using our weekends more intentionally and then towards using vacation as, you know, the resource that it is. Mm -hmm. As As I push on a lot of my coaching clients, if you're not taking every single vacation day, paid time off that you have allotted to you, you are basically taking one of your paychecks and feeding it into a shredder. Amen. I always say your vacation is part of your compensation package. Like it's not a nice to have. It's literally part of your comp. Yeah. And, and then in a more gentle way, right? Because it sounds like I'm pushing on my clients and no, I do a I little bit, yeah. but, but in a more gentle way, I often ask people to, and it's a goofy thing to ask them to do, but I ask them to pretend that they're their own boss and to deliver the narrative that they deliver themselves as if they were giving it to an employee, which is, is if I were to say to myself, 
Daisy, what, what do you mean you want a vacation day? You haven't finished doing all the publicity for your book. You can't rest until it's completely done. I don't care how long it takes. You need to be just 24 seven until, you know, and it doesn't matter. We just came out of a pandemic. If, if somebody actually spoke to me that way, how indignant would I be? Or if, you know, if you think about yourself and, you know, thinking, oh, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't as productive as I should have been this weekend. I should have caught up on all my emails. If a boss said that to you, that, that would be not a great boss, right? You would mm -hmm. chafe under that. But yet we do that to ourselves all the time. Right. Yeah. That negative self-talk in, in so many aspects. It is. If, if somebody actually said the things to you that you were saying to yourself, like you just wouldn't tolerate it. Um, I, I know we're almost at time. I do have one last question that I would love for, for you to share in terms of like what you know of working parenthood now, what are some of the things you think we'll look back on and, and be surprised about? Like, what do you, what are some of the things that we take as, as, you know, necessary or as reality right now that you think are going to evolve over time? Yeah. I mean, I certainly hope that some of the policies and programs that we all need and rely on, like, you know, better parental leave or peer-to-peer -peer mentoring um, from mm -hmm. parent to parent within organizations, I hope that all, all of it, right, takes a huge step forward. And I think the pandemic is a great time to think about that. And I think there is some good forward momentum. But what I really hope for, and, um, you know, I say this as the mother of two little girls who are seven and nine who have watched me work since they were born. I really hope that when they're in it <laughs> the way I'm in it now and that you are, mm -hmm. that working parenthood is not seen as something that is in any way um, a second choice or compromising or, um, you know, sort of overwhelming and too much, but that it's a point of pride mm -hmm. and where they will say, you know, I, I, of course I, you know, I, announce to people at my college reunion that I'm a work parent and, you know, everybody was, you know, supportive of me that, that there's just a cultural shift where this is something that is seen combining, you know, Sigmund Freud said the, the two cornerstones of our humanness are love and work. And where, when we can combine those effectively and we figured out how to do that and we can admire each other for doing that, that that's really the shift I want to see. Yes, I, I, I love that you've emphasized the pride in the role. Um, it's something that I focus on with breadwinners as well. Um, there's There's got to be a very positive narrative uh, in order to shift this from a struggle to a strength. And, and yes, we need all those pillars of support in order to do so. Daisy, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, for your tremendous tips and, and advice and counsel today. Um, where can our listeners engage more with your work? Obviously the book has just come out in May work parent. Um, and where can they engage with the rest of the work that you do? Yeah, you can go to www.workparent.com. Um, look through my website, see some of the blogs and advice articles I have sign up for my weekly newsletter, uh, which offers additional advice and tools and support. Uh, or you can follow me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Music